but it's great to see you. If this is your first time with us, let me just tell you how glad we are that, that you've just chosen to be with us today. I just pray that you can just grow in, in not only faith, but in family, and you can just really experience a sense of community that for many of us, um, it, it's been a long time or we've never experienced that until really just being here. So we're so grateful that you're here with us. And uh, if you've been with us, you were here last week, and if you weren't, let me catch you up. We started this new series called Go. Last year was our one-year anniversary of being public, so it's just an exciting time in our church. We're just kind of gearing into to year two and just jumping right in. So last week, we started this series uh, called Go. Many of you, you were there, and you just remember that there's a bunch of times in the New Testament that in the Gospels that Jesus says, go and fill in the blank, and sometimes it's go and repent, go and confess, go and proclaim. Um, last week we looked at one in which he says, go and tell, go and tell. And so that's the one we dove into last week, just really trying to, to figure out what it means to, to share the story of Jesus as it kind of weaves into our story. And that's kind of the, the first step to really make disciples is, is being an overcomer by our testimony and just sharing the story of God uh, in its beauty. And so today we, we take another step into that. And I think it's uh, really important, just kind of the whole overarching idea throughout this, is that, that we're not just called to be disciples. The end goal with Jesus and being a follower of Jesus, the end goal is not just to be a disciple, but as he puts in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it's to go make disciples. That was the final kind of mission he sent out with the disciples. I guess he would up the ante and kind of push all the chips to the center of the table, if you will. And he said, you're to go out and make disciples. So the end goal for us, if you're a believer in this place, um, is, is to go make disciples. That's what our, our life's mission is about. And so basically we're sent out as missionaries. So for some of us who, who've always kind of pointed to maybe someone else that travels overseas as a missionary, you have to kind of begin to see yourself as a believer in Jesus as a missionary. For some of you that scares you because you know it's going to push you outside of your comfort zone and, and you're exactly right. Uh, and that's what is going to happen here in just a few minutes as we look at the words of Jesus and what he was saying to a group of 70 to 72 different manuscripts, say 70 or 72, in Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to go here in just a minute. And Jesus is really just going to begin to prune those, prune us, as he puts in John 15. We'll look at that text. But that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Sometimes it, it hurts. Um, you ever been corrected by a parent? You know, you've been, I'm sure you have, you've been corrected by someone, and many times it kind of stings, doesn't it? It feels like it's almost a personal attack or something going on, and we kind of have to like come to grips with that and, and move forward, and as we mature, we begin to kind of thank God for, for telling us that that was dumb, you know, and, and sometimes we just have to learn it for ourselves. I know with Beckett, our, our three-year-old, he, you know, he had to touch the stove for himself to figure it out, you know, we, we've been there and done that, we've all got our stories, but we begin to see that as we mature, that, that's a love when our, when our parents tell us that. And we, we see the same thing with God. So before we, we get there, I think it's important to kind of frame some ideologies, some mindsets that are very n- normal. It's just the norm, uh, normal here in the United States. And as I was talking to a friend who had been in, in the UK for uh, a year planning a church, we had actually met them right before that they left. And he was saying that a lot of our American ideologies and things that we kind of, you know, the American pride sense of that really comes from England. That It's there too. And so it's kind of transferred here. And there's a few of these that I think are important to kind of bring up as we kind of see that Jesus is going to begin to prune some of these and, and rid um, uh, those of our life. Some, many of you have grown up here in the United States, but for those of you that didn't, you probably don't have these as much woven into the fabric of your 
cultural mindset um, as much as those of us that have grown up here in the United States. Or even if your families, you know, were, were from a, another country or another culture, you probably didn't have that quite as much as, as those that have grown up here in the United States. And so let me just throw these out here and then kind of work through why these are so contrasting with the teachings of Jesus. The first one is individualism. So it's a bunch of isms. So the first one is individualism. The second one's consumerism. And the third one is narcissism, which will lead to one more um, ism, which is hedonism and the pursuit of pleasure. So let's break these down. The first one is individualism. This is the idea that we are self-reliant. Our independence is, you know, what we kind of raise our children to be independent, right? That's the kind of a good thing. We've all been taught that, teaching our kids to be independent, all these different values, as well as freedom. Like, come on, is there anything else? We're the land of the free. And so we love these. And so let's just for a second kind of juxtapose and contrast the, the, the idea, the teachings of Jesus, what Jesus really says about this idea of individualism that we kind of praise and is so natural for us as we pledge allegiance to the flag. And, and that Jesus' teachings, I'm not saying he's like, you know, tearing up the flag, but I, I think that Jesus it really embodies a different type of freedom and a different type of independence. And, and what, so if we see that in our individualism, it, it's, you know, kind of self-reliance, independence, freedom um, in, in our land through laws. Jesus kind of looks at it very differently in that we're not independent, but in fact, we are built and created to be dependent on God. And that when we're operating as independent, that's when our lives begin to kind of go and self-destruct because we're doing it ourselves. So not only has he made us, created us dependent on him, and that's the life that he wants us to lead. He's created us to be dependent on one another as the body of Christ, and he's knit us together. So so much of the, and really for Jesus, freedom does not come in rules and laws, but it, because many of us, and this is how you'll know this is true, because many of us, we're all free in, in here as we live in the United States, but many of us feel bound in our hearts. So that's not the true essence of freedom. Jesus is giving us a deeper understanding of freedom when he says that if you want freedom, you'll be dependent on me, dependent on the body of Christ, and you'll know freedom that comes through me uh, and me alone. So that's individualism, counterintuitive you know, to, to kind of what is natural. The second one is consumerism. This one's super easy for us to think through. We think more, more, more stuff will make us happy. It hasn't been that long since Christmas or Black Friday to remember how much of a consumerism, you know, consumeristic culture we live in. And, and we are just kind of naturally, you know, embedded in that in, in our brains as well. You know, so Jesus is obviously very, you know, counter-thinking to this. He, you know, he, he told the rich young ruler when he said, what else do I got to do? He said, give everything away. If we look at the early church, we saw that they shared and had everything in common. It was a people that were not super rich, but they freely gave. Their hearts were just open to, to share with those that were in need. And that's the kind of mentality and lifestyle that Jesus calls believers to live in, but again, it, it's counterintuitive. We, we love to shop, and, and you know what I mean? That's just kind of our, our world, and, and so, and I'm not, you know, throwing shopping. We were shopping this week, so I'm not, I'm not kind of, you know, coming at it from that angle, but I'm trying to show that Jesus looks at, at life so differently than what is almost natural to us here in the United States, and it's important that, that we um, understand that things don't start with our actions. They start with our ideas and our beliefs. So you, uh, that's to say that your actions um, don't come before your beliefs. Usually you change your beliefs, you change your theology, your ideology, or it's embedded in you and you don't even realize you have it, and then your actions follow that. Does that make sense? So 
So the second one is consumerism. The third one is narcissism. And this is the one that kind of like edges. Like, come on, dude. Don't, don't, be, throw, don't be saying everybody's narcissistic. And I'm, I'm in this. I, I said I'm among the group that grew up in the United States, you know. So I, I'm, you know, naturally this. And a lot of my te- like personal story of meeting Jesus is Jesus just wrecking me to the point where my narcissism uh, just wanted me to, to just jump off a cliff somewhere or, or pull my car into a tree. That's how em- empty I, I was when the, the point I, I really began to understand that Jesus loved me and, and that he had a plan for my life. And so this narcissism came from kind of this um, really old old person, um, kind of more in uh, like Greek mythology type days. But um, he, he, had, uh, he had seen his reflection in a pond. Uh, his name is Narcissus, and he, he fell in love with his reflection. And, and so that's where narcissism comes from, and it's this idea of, of self-worship and um, the, the love of self to the nth degree. Freud and, and, all, the, and all, all the psychologists in the room are, are well you know, acquainted with narcissism. But here's the thing, it's, it's so, and again, it follows, it's followed by hedonism, because once you begin to worship yourself and you say that, you know, I'm the kind of ultimate um, center of the universe, then that means you can do, I can do whatever I want, I, I'm the center of my affection, it means we can do whatever we want, so that means there's no rules, and that's a really dangerous place to be, and that's kind of the culture we live in, is a hedonistic society, that whatever makes us happy what we do because it makes us happy. We're a very narcissistic kind of thought. So it's important to kind of get the grasp on these, especially, so let me finish the narcissism thing, that the teachings of Jesus are obviously very different in this, and it's supposed to be what's the, the first commandment and the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God um, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, and so that it's, it's loving him, putting him at the center of our universe. I mean, Jesus didn't say put yourself at the first, at the, the best seat in the table. He said take the last seat. He said the first will be last, the last will be first. He, he said you've got to consider other, others better than yourself. Jesus' teachings are so different from what is just natural here in the United States. And so it's important to know that this doesn't start with our actions, but it started with these ideas that are just inbred in us as Americans and know that Jesus is going to begin to shape these and that's kind of going to hurt as he kind of sends us out here as missionaries, it's going to kind of hurt, and it's going to kind of be uncomfortable for us. So know the root of why this is uncomfortable. It's not because you can't wrap your brain around that, and because you don't think this is really the way of life that Jesus has called us to. It's not that. It's because it's so inbred in us, and we're kind of fighting against that. So John 15 kind of says it better than what I ever could when, um, <clears throat> when Jesus is speaking. He says, I'm the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Continue to verse two, uh, verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And so that's what Jesus is about to do here. And, and it's interesting that we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 10, and, and some of you know that I like to just go through an entire chapter, and so I'm going to do that today, but I, I'm going to skip a lot of it, okay? So, so just take a deep breath. Um, and so we're going to go to Luke chapter 10, begin with verse 1, and let me just kind of set the stage of where we're at. And it's interesting where we're going to be at in Scripture today, because it's exactly where we're at as a community today. It wasn't too long ago that we were nine or ten people sitting around in my living room, and, and now, you, you know, we're in the kind of 70 to 100 range on, on a weekly basis, 
And this is exactly where Jesus is appointing 70 to 72 people. And it's just interesting that, that God just brought this text so strong to me as we kind of go into this Go series. Last week we talked about Go and Tell, and this week we're going to call, call this one Go and, and Do. And we're going to find that here at the very end of, of this chapter. So let's dive right in. It's just awesome that it kind of meets us right where we're at. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. Wait, is this the story of the ark, like Jesus and Noah? He just wanted to be like that. Uh, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So he sent them. No, we're going to stay on that verse one for just a second. And he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place. So there's two things that we need to see here. One is that he sent them together. He sent them together two by two. That means it wasn't alone. So the first thing I think Jesus is telling us about being missionaries is you've got to be selfless. You've got to be selfless. It's not about you because, in fact, when Jesus sends you out, it's very easy to make it about you. You can think it's about you. So the first aspect is to be selfless and to realize that you'll get in the way. So he sent them together, and he also sent them first. And so both of these are important because, again, we'll begin to put ourselves at the center of it if we're not careful. And I think this is more about us not making it about us. Sending them together is an important thing. And here in just a minute... Um, or in, I mean really next week, we're going to get to experience uh, the new season of our, our anchor groups, and I hope all of you just dive into those. Many of you are connected in those already. But as we begin to engage in that, really understand what it means to live in community and to do life together, to be missionaries together, to walk in, in the mission of Jesus, and that he sends us together because we're not good enough alone. Our individualism is not going to make us happy. At the end of the day, we still end up alone, and Jesus sends us together because we need someone. We need a friend. We need accountability. We need support. We need encouragement. Some of you are in here, and you're, the only reason you're here is because you are searching for community. You're searching for, for, for support. You're searching for that, and that's your, your greatest desire and longing, and, and here's the good news is that's what Jesus wants too. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's why he doesn't send you alone. And we're going to see as we kind of dig further into this text that there's so many reasons of it. But he also sends them first. And, you know, think about this. When, when the president has an event, the president isn't kind of sitting at the table waiting for everybody to show up. The president shows up after. And, and so Jesus has really, I think, and, and I feel like even some of my language at times kind of begins to put us at the center of this. But it's, it's so easy to do. It just comes so natural. But really, when he sends us ahead, it's to prepare the way for him. Uh, we don't need a, another Jesus. We just need people to point people to Jesus. We need people that are, are willing to reflect Jesus. You don't, you, you're not called to be Jesus. You're called to reflect Jesus and point people. And there's a very big difference because we don't need another Savior. We just need servants. We just need people that will point people to Jesus. And if you look at verse 2, I think that's exactly um, what's being said here. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. He, he, he's saying that we need more people. I'm sending you out to, to get more workers for the field. It's not to just get disciples, but it's to be disciple makers, people that will be a part of this mission, this commission together. And that's what he's saying here. And, and I've heard it many times 
people that even come into a, a smaller church in its infant stage that we are, you know, say, I, I just really need something smaller. And, and, and I, I don't want to be offensive this morning, but I have to be honest. It, that's a very small picture of what the kingdom looks like. If our greatest desire is for the church to be small, then, then we've, just, we've missed our entire mission and purpose on the entire planet. And so that may be offensive to you, and, and, I'm, and I can't apologize for it because I feel like it's the truth. And, and if you really want to know purpose and, and just depth of, and love for Jesus and, and how you're created, then we've really got to get connected to his mission. And, and that it is to, to go out and to reach. It, it's it filled in with the next word in the next verse here, verse 3. Let's look at it. Go. (laughs) It's fulfilled in this. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So the first thing he tells us is you've got to be selfless. You've got to be willing to be selfless and not make it about you, but make it about Jesus. The second thing he's saying here is like, look, you better be strong and and not in strong in the way that this world kind of thinks because everybody thought that Jesus was going to be this kind of like hoping the Messiah would be this kind of military leader that would look like a Davidic model with the ripped abs. You've seen the statue. They were hoping that Jesus would kind of look like that, but Jesus came so different, and he said, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And you're like, Jesus, that's not comforting. Like, you know, like before you go out on a trip, I, we had a mission trip to, to Mexico years back, and, and it was really as the whole cartel thing was just like really ramping up. And so the U.S. Embassy is putting out all these warnings, like, do not travel to Mexico. And we're traveling literally in the most dangerous place you could go. And, and, and so we had a trip of about 20 people. And after, I'm like, hey, i got to be real with you. I'm, you're being sent out like lambs among wolves. And, and not figuratively, I'm like talking literally. Um, and, and our trip dropped about six people after that. After moms and grandmas started just hounding their kids that um, of pretty much what Jesus was saying here. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And so we crossed the border, and 10 minutes in, we'd already been stopped by two cartels in the first 10 minutes of crossing the border. And, um, and the next day, we get up and we read the newspaper, and there's no censorship, and there's just dead bodies on the side of the road um, of people that had just been murdered by the, car- the cartel just on the side of the road. And so this idea uh, of go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves, Jesus is saying be strong because others are going to get in your way. Others are, are going to get in your way, and, and I think that, that comes on the positive. There's, there's positives and negatives to that that we have to wrestle with, and he said, I don't want you to fight fire with fire. When he, he didn't say, I'm sending you out like wolves among wolves, where you're going to really have, have the same type of mentality and battle, but lambs and wolves are so different. And we see that with Jesus, him embodying that later on as he would be beaten, and he had a chance to defend himself, but yet he remained silent and didn't put up his own defense, and yet he was just, he was slaughtered like a lamb. And so we see kind of foreshadowing to that, and it's so disheartening and scary to even read this, but he says, you don't fight fire with fire. He says, you're, you're to love, um, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. He, he's given us a whole, complete, different approach to what we would normally look at as warfare and, and, and battle and, and to look at it so differently. But it takes incredible strength. I don't think our world, I, I mean, some of you have, have, heard of, um, have heard of Samson who had this great strength through his his curly locks, at least I'll say them curly, um, and he, he pushed I mean, pillars and just, and just killed people, and it's just kind of this ultimate like warrior, if you will, through this incredible strength God had given him that, that was kind of tied to his hair, 
Uh, but I don't think we, even, even Samson holds a candle to the strength that we saw in Jesus that was all internal strength. I think it's, it's a completely different kind of strength that we see here. And, and going from the, the being strong thing back to the first point of, of being selfless and, and needing each other, if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, uh, which for some of you will be very familiar because it's, it's known as the armor of God. Some of you have never heard of that. It, it just kind of talks about some different pieces of armor as Christians that we should put on. Uh, some of them are like truth and like a breastplate and you know, different things like that and a sword. And, and there's one thing that's missing from the armor, and it's there's nothing to protect your back. There's really not, unless your shield covered your back, which at that time was not kind of the, the, the most um, kind of common warfare type of shield. It, it just covered the front of you, and so your back was, was exposed, and so that would be where you, the person that was with you would cover your back. And so I think Jesus is just talking about purity and spirit here and going out and, and having a, a, a different approach to this missional thing that we're not getting in a fight. Our approach is so different. And so many times the church, the big C church, thinks that we're fighting kind of like righteous battles, but we're fighting them all wrong. We're fighting them in ways that are, are different than what Jesus would have wanted us to fight them. I uh, send this out like lambs among wolves, not wolves against wolves. Verse four, here's your third point if you're keeping notes of, of this per- first part here. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone in the roads. So the first thing is we've gotta be willing to be selfless. The second thing is being strong. Others are gonna get in the way, we're gonna get in the way. And, and then the, the third thing here is we've got to be, to be satisfied because not only will you get in the way and others get in the way, but your stuff's going to get in the way. This whole consumerism, this whole individualism, you see how they just filter into what Jesus is kind of trimming off of the journey for us as missionaries. And he's saying your stuff's going to get in the way. He's talking about bags, sandals, uh, these type of things. He's beginning to, to, to take away all the comfort for us. And that your security, your financial security, your extra you to purse, your extra bag, your extra clothes. He's, he's getting rid of the social security that, that we have. Not social security, literally social security. They didn't have that then. And we probably won't either before long, but um, that's just another story. Um, so he, he's beginning to remove all of these things that make us comfortable. And he's saying, look, you've got to be satisfied in me. If you're going to be on this journey with me, it's not going to be about all these other things that give you comfort, but it's going to be about your relationship with me. For some of us, we begin to feel weak because of we've really, the only thing we've built our life on is being satisfied and, and kind of consumed as consumers in a consumeristic kind of culture with our stuff. And so Jesus is saying, look, go ahead and begin to shave and, and trim all these things away. I think we're going to begin to bear better fruit. And as I've matured as a believer, when, when God starts to, to do some of that, I start saying, thank God. I needed that. I needed that six months ago. I, I really did. I just wish I could have seen it then. And, and, and that's really maturity. And I hope that we would all just kind of begin to, to realize these things and thank God for accountability and support and encouragement and just correction because we need it. We need to be together. We need to be selfless, strong, and, and satisfied. So verse 5 and, and through verse 24, Jesus is going to continue to kind of uh, teach the disciples about their journey. And there will be some back and forth after they've gone out and come back. And he's giving them more instructions, like, you know, don't withhold the truth. Like, just preach the truth no matter, you know, what it means. Be bold with the truth. And so he's giving a lot of practical examples here, verse 5 through 24. So I want to skip down to, to verse 25, and we're going to hit something that's 
pretty familiar to, to many of you, and uh, I, I pray that, that God would allow me to, to bring some fresh light to it. Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law, a scribe, it's not a lawyer, but he, he's more of a, a religious type of lawyer, if you will. He stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So again, it looks like he's coming to learn and, and find out about eternal life, but really, he's just there to test Jesus. He's just there to start an argument. Anybody ever kind of been in that situation before? And he said, and Jesus responds to his question with another question. And he said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, this is what the, the, the scribe answers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I love the simplicity there. And he gets the answer right. Most of you that have read through that, this is, Jesus is like exactly right. So verse 28 you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So he's saying, yeah, you've, you've got the knowledge part. And, and the, the guy thinks that he's kind of cornering Jesus and trying to stir something up, an argument, if you will. But, but Jesus kind of, again, pushes the, the chips to the middle of the table. And he says, okay, then do it. He's saying, don't just know it, but do it. And I, and I think for many times in, in the, the Big C Church across the world... It, especially here in, in the West and in the Southeast, um, we just have a lot of spiritually fat churches in which we kind of get all of this information, but we never do it. We, we become really spiritually fat, and, and we, we never kind of can respond like this, and that's why Jesus is responding to him, because he's the kind of same religious mindset that's very normal here down in the Southeast. Do this, and you'll live. So he's saying, he's calling him to action, challenge of action. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus again, so who's my neighbor? He's just trying to dig in a little more now. In reply, Jesus said, um, he begins to tell this story. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If, if you start asking Jesus a lot of questions, um, when the answer was really plain at the beginning, um, at some point, he's just going to break it down for you. And like, okay, there it is right in, in front of you. And, and here he's given a very straightforward example that's really going to cut harder than any question and answer um, session they could ever have. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him dead. This is what some of you will know as the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan, Okay. So they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So get this picture. Many times we, we kind of begin to clothe the man in this story, but he's naked, like naked on the side of the road, beat up and bruised. When I was a kid, I, I, um, we were home alone. I, I don't think I could drive at the time. And we kind of, this time we had moved a little bit outside of the city. And one night we were just hanging out. It was a fr- I think it was a Friday night. And we had um, this Hispanic guy come to our door just completely bloodied. And his neck, I mean, he, I mean, he was literally beat to like a pulp. And his neck, you could see where he had been choked by a belt. I mean, I could literally immediately saw this man had almost just died. And uh, I, I knew very little Spanish and what I knew was very broken. And, and so the cops ended up getting there. We, we were feeding the guy and, and just kind of hanging out with him and, and just trying to figure out what was going on because he, he didn't speak English. So we ended up finding out that he had been just literally beaten and choked by a belt. And he was left out in the middle of the woods by some gang. 
And um, it, it was just shocking to me as a kid to just see this right in front of me. So I'm just imagining he was fully clothed. Um, but imagining this kind of happening on, on the side of the road and a man that's just like almost unconscious probably and been attacked here. So go to verse 31, and Jesus is going to make this kind of start to cut a little bit. So a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. And so he passed by the other side. Verse 32. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So he gives three people, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And so in the mind of this Jewish scribe of the law, and a keeper of the law, you know, really trying to test Jesus, um, the priest and the Levite are kind of highest on the quote-unquote purity ladder, if you will, in their culture. There's strict purity laws in which you couldn't touch certain people, you couldn't go certain places, you couldn't touch certain animals at certain times. Very strict laws that they lived by. And the priest and the Levite were kind of at the pinnacle of their purity food chain, if you will. And Samaritans, Jews and Samaritans, had just a terrible relationship. Um, they literally hated one another. Um, the Samaritans are, are half Jewish and, and half Gentile or, you know, half something else. And, and so some, we've seen some, some language in, in um, early manuscripts and, and different um, other read texts that would suggest that Jews would actually call Samaritans, which is the high majority of everyone in here, because um, you're either Jew mixed with something or you're just something else. Um, they would call them dogs, and th- that was kind of their terminology for them, was just completely degrading, like they, they would call them half-breeds and, and dogs, and just all these kind of derogatory terms, and so in their mind, he's throwing out a Samaritan who's going to be the, kinda, the good person in this story, and, and saying that these other two guys missed it, if you will, because of their purity laws, and, and because uh, of their mentality of really what the law was all about. So as he traveled, he came to where it was, and he had pity on him. We'll come back to that in a second. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. A lot of scholars think that the Samaritan was, in fact, some type of traitor because he was moving from Jerusalem to, to Jericho. Um, and that was just kind of a common traitor's path for a Samaritan, and, and traitors were very low on the social class totem pole. And so not only was he a Samaritan, but he was a traitor, and because they thought that they were thieves of sorts. They thought that they exchanged, you know, things with people and really robbed them, you know what I mean? You ever felt like you had got the bad end of a deal? They felt like that was what they did for a living, was trading and, and, and you know, making people basically robbing them, you know, under the, the law, if you will. And, and so he's not only a Samaritan, but he's a, a, a traitor. Not like traitor, like a, you know, turn your back on America type thing, but traitor in which he, he, he traded goods. Uh, and, and also they think it, it's a, he was a traitor because of the oil and wine he had on board, but I think Jesus is using these be, because of, of just really some of the, the foreshadowing of uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, um, the wine and the, the oil that in which you know, they, would, they would offer him and, and the vinegar. And, 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 and so we see so much here, and just oil is often used as anointing. It was used as an anointing. So 
So when Jesus sees that he, you know, I say Jesus, the Samaritan, he bandaged his wounds. There's a sense of healing here. He puts the man on his own donkey and he takes him to an inn. The inn was, in fact, someone that, that an innkeeper was like dirty and dangerous, and they were lower on the social class than the Samaritan was. And, and so Jesus is taking like these like really high and mighty people in their culture with the highest social class, and he, he's taking two people, the lowest social class, and said, they got it, and they didn't. They crossed by on the other side. So he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Let's read a few more verses. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Uh, which of these three do you think? He, he's back to the lawyer now. The story's over. Which of these do you think the neighbor was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Verse 37 will finish it out for us. The expert in the law required... Um, replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. If you'll skim back, I think, to verse 34 or 35, right there, I, I want you to begin to, to see this with just a slightly different theological lens here. What if Jesus this whole time, you know, is talking about himself? That, in fact, this story, he's, he's telling the story of the cross that it is us who are on the side of the road, and we're naked in our sin and our shame and our filth, and it's Jesus the Samaritan who had a Jewish mom and a father who was not Jewish, and God the Father. And so what if, what if Jesus is the Samaritan here, and as he's saying do it, likewise, he's not just talking about the Samaritan, but he's talking about the life that he would lead to the point where he bandages up our wounds. And some of you have experienced that as you begin to follow Jesus. Jesus has healed you both internally and externally. And then he put the man on his own donkey that, that we would not be, in our individualism, in our own pursuit, we would not be good enough, but in fact we would have to, to be carried our sin would have to be carried and cared for on his donkey. Um, and he brought them to an inn and he took care of them. Just the, the, the compassion of Jesus. Verse 35. He took out two denarii and gave them the innkeeper. He's paying for his stay. It, I, I think right in here it's beginning to speak of the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Not just that, that um, we don't get what we deserve, but that we, we, do, we get what we, we do not deserve. So both sides of it, the mercy and grace, in verse 36 down to verse 37. Again, just with a different lens. So he's saying, which of these do you think was like the neighbor? And he says, go and do likewise. The go is pushing us beyond our comfort zones of the, the things that we see as culturally kind of okay. And he's saying, you know, walk in that. Cross, be willing to cross the street. Be willing to put the brakes on, pull into the parking lot, and love someone. And take care of something, to pay for something they can't pay for. And, and, and he says, do. And, and the word here is, is um, it, it's interesting, it's um, the Yiddish word for this do right here. You guys are familiar with Yiddish? Is, um, is no, I'm sorry, not, that's a, another part. The Greek word for this is poeo, which really means to make or to produce. He's saying, go make, go produce, go do likewise, go bear fruit. I think this is what this is all saying here. Do likewise like I did for you, not just this man in the story, but I'm the Samaritan that, that paid for it. And, and so I have to ask us today, what would it look like to go and do likewise in Jacksonville? 
What would it look to, to go and do likewise today and, and, and this week? What would that look like to go and do what Jesus called us to do? Every day in our, our work, we're encountered with people that I think as humans, I think in our human nature, we, we see pain because we've experienced it. And so I think we can see that pain in someone that maybe they haven't been beat up physically, but they've been beat up emotionally. Maybe there's not bruises on their face, but you can tell their husband or their wife there's, there's some things going on. There's maybe some abuse there. You know, I think as humans, we can see those things. And I think the more, even as, as, as Christians, it gets deeper. And that, that God begins to reveal those things. The Holy Spirit kind of gives us eyes to see people that are hurting. And, and they're surrounding us. They're surrounding us. They're in this very room. We're in this room right now. And, and if that's you, I, I can just tell you that Jesus wants to bandage you up. And he, he wants to, and if your debt's never been paid, if your in stay you're in, at the inn has never been taken care of, then Jesus can take care of that. And I believe that Jesus is calling us to produce fruit. And again, this whole series is kind of leading into and around the idea of making disciples. And part of that is telling, and a lot of it is just doing. It's, it's called an action as believers. And so I just want to call us to that action today whether it's just on your daily journey to work or on the weekends or if it's with your anchor group serving or if it's here at Fathom, wherever it's at, just embody the, the, the principles of Jesus to go and do likewise. Not because some guy in some story, but because Jesus did it for us and because he took care of us when we couldn't take care of ourselves and we were beaten up and bruised. And so if the, the band will, will come, I, I just want to, close us in prayer and make an invitation and a plea to anyone who feels kind of beat up and, and maybe naked on the side of the road just to ask God to, I don't even think you, you need to ask, you just need to open yourself up today and know that he, he's crossing the, 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 the road for you. He's already crossed the road and, and you just need to receive his mercy and grace today and know that that, that is, is life-changing. Can you imagine this man after people had passed him by? And then, and then now a Samaritan trader would stop and give up some of his goods to take care of him. What that does to transform and change a person, I think, is beyond our comprehension unless you've ever been in a place like that. And I can say that, that I have, um, not in, in the physical sense of, of being on the side of the road, I feel like I've been on, on the other side of it too, where I've been the one that's bruised and, and bullied the man. I, I feel like many times I'm the, the guy who won't cross the street or who is on the side of the street and I'll go out of my way to miss it. Afraid of what I might feel, afraid of what I might have to say, afraid of what others will think, afraid of messing up my schedule. I mean, we're filled with excuses. Like so many times I'm on that side of it. And so I don't come as a guy who's got it all together. I don't come as a guy who's, who's, who's nailing it every time. I, I, I'm, I come as a guy who, who misses it far too often. And my heart is just to go and do, go and to make, produce, go and to be the vessel he's called me to be of his mercy and his grace. I want to invite you to stand today.
I just pray right now, God, that you would do a work in our hearts. God, I pray that you would do a work in, in our minds, these ideologies that have, have gotten in the way of what you want to do in our lives, God, and the mission and your teachings. God, help us to obey them. God, and in that obedience, you raise us from just servants, God, to, to friends. God, I pray that nothing would hinder, no, our own mindsets, our purity laws, God, would hinder us from being your hands and feet and doing the will of God. I pray that we would embody these things greater and greater each day. If you are that one that's naked and bruised and feel beat up by robbers today, I just want to invite you uh, in the next few moments during our, our, our time, invite, invite to the table. I'm going to be back in the, in the back corner and just invite you to come pray. Let us pray with you and just um, encourage you in the Lord. And, and uh, if you've never made that confession to Jesus, that you'd make that today in this next few moments. It's just a simple as it sounds, just make a confession to Jesus that you're not good enough in and of yourself, that on your best day, you're, you're, all you can offer is filthy rags, and just confess him as Lord and Savior today. Let's worship and let's pray.